check the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hi there, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 23 now. Can you believe it? Life in Red podcast. It's going by so, so fast. Almost a year. Uh, pleased to be joined today uh, by uh, a guest, um, Crystal Joy Parman. Welcome. Thank you. First of all, um, why don't you tell a little bit of uh, what you do and, and why you're here? Yeah, so uh, I myself am an entrepreneur here in Ottawa. I'm a performance artist, and I'm also a Lyme disease warrior and advocate. And I know you wanted to come on. Um, specifically, I know you have an event coming up that we'll definitely touch on. Uh, it's, we want people to know about. But coming on specifically to talk about what Lyme disease is and kind of your life uh, around it. I know um, we just started, we connected on Facebook about a month ago, and I saw some of your videos and, and your posts and, you know, you're really put a lot of um, what I like to equate to, like when I talk about mental health, I like to talk about it very honestly, openly mm-hmm. and like share pretty intimate details. I know you're kind of the same from what I've seen. That's, that's yes. kind of what I'm getting at. Yes. Um, so let's start off because I know I know nothing about Lyme disease. So what what is it? basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, a lot of people don't actually know about Lyme disease or they've heard of it, but they don't even know exactly what it is. And that's kind of where I'm at. I've heard of it for sure. And I know people have it, but I I have no clue what symptoms are. I don't really know anything about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So very simply put, Lyme disease is a bacterial infection. Okay. Um, but unfortunately it is antibiotic resistant. And so once it does enter the body, there is no way of testing to see that the bacteria has actually left the body. Okay. And so it makes it a lifelong infection that you have to deal with. And if the infection does reach the later stages, it then becomes a chronic day to day, uh, sort of symptoms that you have to deal with. Okay. So you yourself, um, you're not only an advocate, you do have Lyme disease, that's correct? Yes. How long have you known that you've had it? Um, I found out that I have Lyme disease in June of 2018. Okay, so fairly recently. Yes. um, Do you know when when you contracted it, how you contracted it, or was it kind of a a surprise? Um, It was a surprise when I found out because I didn't know anything about it at the time. Okay. But when I started to learn about it, it, at that point it wasn't a surprise to me. I was, I was about nine years old when I started experiencing different um, illnesses uh, throughout the body, whether they were, um, you know, internally or externally of the mind. And um, it wasn't until the summer of 2018 when I did become critically ill. Wow. And that's when all of the pieces of the puzzle started to come together. All of these years of all these different illnesses and misdiagnoses and all these different tests that we've had to run. Um, everything just kind of came together at that point. So you, you've had Lyme disease like for nine years without even knowing it. And you know, it just, all of a sudden the diagnosis came together. Right. I was about nine years old when, um, when I started to fall ill. So I've had Lyme disease for about 20 years. Okay. Right. I got my, I'm like 2018, nine. (laughs) Right. Okay. I can't do math. That's why I talk. (laughs) (laughs) So what were some of the things that you were 
experiencing as a child and that were maybe being misdiagnosed? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was a lot of issues of the gut. I was having a lot of different pains and different sensations um, that were easily dismissed. And um, that later went on to different food sensitivities and intolerances and And again, that was dismissed as just the body chemistry changing. And as I entered into my teenage years, that's when I started to experience a lot of the um, the skin disorders. I started to have autoimmune disorders like eczema and psoriasis. uh, And I started to experience a lot of mental health issues, which spiraled out of control. Um, Before we because I want to touch on you, what are Mm -hmm. some of the like the the main symptoms of, of Lyme disease like? How did it kind of get misdiagnosed? Is it are the symptoms fairly common um, and things, but when they're added together, like that's kind of where you you lead to Lyme disease, right? So the symptoms can be very vague, uh, and Lyme disease is known as the great imitator. So there are a mm, lot of illnesses okay. today that are misdiagnosed because a lot of these symptoms do mimic a lot of other illnesses. And so it's really difficult when you have these illnesses that have symptoms that are overlapping to really get down to the underlying cause. Mm-hmm. So what what are some typical ones that, or is it different for everybody? It's different for everyone. Really? And, okay. and there's different stages of the infection as well. So when you have the initial infection, when you first get bit by the tag or one of the other ways of transmission, because there are several, um, what happens is, is at first the infection finds its way into the body and it is a gut bacteria from what I understand. Okay. And so it finds its way into the gut and it lives there for some time before it starts to explore the body. And so that is called the disseminated stage is when it is disseminating into the body. And then after some time, and for everyone, the amount of time is different. It could be mm. days, weeks, or even years from the initial infection. Do people start to experience the late stages? And that's when the Lyme disease is leaving the gut and it's traveling the body. And it is a moving disease, so it does travel around the body. And there's no place wow. in the body that it cannot enter, including the brain and all of the different organs and tissues. So, like, ev- everywhere is up for grabs for this ev- disease. Basically. So... W- you know, you had it for 20 years before you even realized it, which, you know, that's baffling. But if, you know, you, I'm trying to like think back um, to me and I'm totally outside of the the medical, you know, history of Lyme disease. So I, I really don't know, but I really didn't start hearing about Lyme disease and diagnosis you know, around 2017, 2016. Do you think there was a large case of people having Lyme disease before before that, like, doctors just didn't really know about it? It wasn't as much in the literature. It was this or that. So that's why it got misdiagnosed. And now all of a sudden doctors are realizing, oh, no, it could be this. Um, and that's why we're hearing about it more? Or is it kind mm-hmm. of always been a, a thing and, and people... You know, it's just common, and now I'm hearing about it more because of maybe social media or something. Right. I think there are a number of factors in that because Lyme disease is fairly new that we know of. Okay. Um, I I don't know how old exactly or how when the first case was diagnosed. I think somewhere around the 60s. Okay. Um, And it did originate in the United States. Excuse me. um, Around the coast of Maine. And so it had, of course, spread from that point on and started to move upward into the northern parts of. in the United States and into Canada where we are now. And so I think part of why we didn't really hear about it at first is because 
it hadn't really reached us yet. It didn't really seem relevant. And at first it was just a localized situation. Um, it did start in Lyme, Connecticut, and it was one town that mm-hmm. had fallen ill. Um, a large portion of the population there had all fallen ill with basically the same symptoms. And so it seemed at the time that it was a contained situation. Even today, even though we are learning a lot more about Lyme, um, and I myself, I'm, I'm new to learning about all of this. Yeah, of course. But... Um, there's a lot of information. It's it's a very tricky disorder because not a lot is known about it. And so there's a lot of dispute as to what's the best way to go about dealing with the situation, mm-hmm. um, how to treat these patients, um, how, how, to what degree are their bodies unwell, um, mm-hmm. d- different factors. And some doctors don't agree with Lyme as a diagnosis altogether. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so it can be really tricky. Yeah. Um, going back now, you mentioned that you uh, kind of reached a point where you were critically ill. Mm-hmm. So what what was that like? What was happening to you when you reached that? And then I assume with becoming critically ill, that's where you found your diagnosis. Siri, we're not talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's always got to be about Siri. Seriously, listening into us, the government's <laughs> like Lyme disease. What we're gonna? What listen are you guys in talking now. about? <laughs> um, but what was that point? Because I know we're laughing, but this is, was a serious point in your yes. life. Um, so why don't we talk? Like, can you tell me a little bit about what happened there? Yeah. Um, so I, like I said, since the time that I was nine years old throughout life, had these different illnesses, and it seemed like throughout the years, they became more and more illnesses layered on top of each other that got worse and worse until um, it was the summer of 2018 that, well, I guess it was around the fall of 2017 that I started to fall ill with a flu. And that flu lasted me about five months. That oh doctors, they kept telling me, just wait it out, you know, just just wait it out. Um, and I tried to be patient. And, you know, there was a couple diagnoses of uh, bronchitis and a lung infection through all of that. But um, that brought me into March of 2018. And that's when I felt like I was recovering from this flu finally. And then within a day, um, all of a sudden, I felt like my respiratory system was shutting down on me. And I, that whole flu was a respiratory situation. That whole five-month period, I felt like my lungs were under a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And I started to recover a little bit. And then within that one day, I went from feeling like I was on the mend, I was ready to, you know, thinking about going to the gym and working out, um, to the time that I was leaving work that day, I decided to um, stay on the bus a couple extra stops and take myself over to the hospital because I had realized in the time that I was sitting on that bus that I wasn't breathing really well, and it was to a point that I couldn't deal with it on my own anymore, even though doctors kept telling me to wait it out. Mm -hmm. I felt like this is a situation where something has to be done at this point. Um, So you get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, What happened next? Well, that was tricky. Um, The hospital, they did see me, but they really didn't find anything wrong, aside from telling me that, you know, you you have the flu, just wait it out. (laughs) Again. Wait it out again. I'm sure you were saying, you know, I've had this for five months. This is, can't be normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And still, like, you know, not putting blame on the hospital or anything, but, like, they didn't see you, they didn't admit you, they didn't really... Well, I they have kind of a, sent you home. Basically, because I had a history of asthma. 
Okay. And it was also spring season. So, you know, it's allergy season. It could be this, it could be that. But they, because there was nothing really coming up on any scans or any tests that they were doing, there wasn't really much that they themselves as a yeah. hospital could okay. do. <clears throat> so there wasn't a point where, um, you know, I'll, I'll refer to a video that I saw you posted. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I, I read through it um, and, you know, you had hives. Was this at the same point? Was this at a point where you're, I mean, like, not, did you think you, you might, you know, you're, you might die or, or anything mm -hmm. like, did, was there a collapse or anything? Like, I want to get to the point where, you know, you reach that low and then mm -hmm. found your diagnosis. And then, I mean, obviously you're sitting here with me now, right. so you got somewhat <laughs> better. So t what was that story like? Yeah. So, um, in March, I checked my well I brought myself into the ER and they had me in critical care but they didn't find anything so they they released me and for a number of months it was a it was revolving months door after. Wow. months okay. after it was March or um, May um May so that video that you're referring mm -hmm. to um was after many many times of being in a hospital and them not being able to do anything my doctor not being able to do anything and that particular night that was that video you were talking about was filmed on Two in the morning of May 4th, mm -hmm. very powerful day for me. And um, I had made a, a phone call to telehealth because people were saying, well, maybe just try the nurses. They might be able to help you. And and that, that phone call, too, basically had me feeling like I had ultimately reached a complete dead end. And that was the moment. I, I was already afraid for my life at that point. And what brought me to the decision to pick up my phone and to record myself in that state was the turmoil of this is what's going to happen to me mm -hmm. and no one can see what's happening. And I felt like I needed to not only capture the moment, but the emotional state mm -hmm. that I was in, because when you're going through this for so long, I mean, to be a nine year old child, it's really hard to, to make up these things, you know, to make up my stomach hurts, my leg hurts, yeah. the sun is too bright, you know, sounds are hurting my ears. Um, so it was really, really, really really challenging on me to kind of come to terms with you know how can no one see that I've been going through this for so long right right and those are very like common things a child would say right that you know it's it's all these little things but if you catch the pattern then you're like oh well you know mm -hmm. so many of these things are happening like you know, you got to add it all up. And right. Unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't happen for a lot of people. What were you, because a lot of people are, are, might want to go see the video now, but yeah. as we're talking about it, what were you experiencing at that time when you were mm -hmm. filming the video? Uh, at that point, I had already pretty much reached a brick road with the hospitals. And in that in that night, I was having a lot of problems. Um, I had broke out in hives, um, mainly on my face. And I seemed to get a lot of issues on my legs and on my thighs. Okay. And um, my I had these hives. And not only were they severe, but they were actually really painful. Um, so even just touching them, I even the clothing, just wearing clothing was actually irritating them. And um, I had severe bruises on my legs again. And that was because of um, an internal bleed that doctors were able to find when I brought myself into a doctor's office in March. And um, they never were able to find out what the cause of that was. And so these bruises I had on my legs were massive and severely dark. I mean, they were 
very it was really scary to see yeah. them I, I do have photos of these bruises and you just kind of like woke up one day and you're just like whoa yeah you and you do you wake up one day and they're there and most of the time they're normal because um, I also do have a b12 deficiency so just the usual bruising that okay. you would see from that which was caused by Lyme of course <laughs> yeah but um it, yeah these bruises were the kind of bruises that you think someone had probably came up and hit me with a stick or, you know, they were very scary looking. And I also had um, an issue at that point where my skin was not healing. I basically was living like the bubble boy because if I had so much got a paper cut, it would take months for that to heal. And so um, I had a kitten. She's just turned one. Mm -hmm. But she one day accidentally scratched me. And this tiny little cat scratch that I had on my thigh from her, um, that particular night I had, I went to change and I noticed that this tiny little, you know, barely, barely scratched the surface. Um, this little scratch was infected and it looked like it had grew. Um, mm. the scratch itself looked like it had gotten longer. Um, and that, that was the moment where I picked up the phone and called telehealth because I, I felt like I could go to a hospital, but I felt like that wasn't going to go anywhere. So I thought I'll make this phone call and see what advice they would have for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was told that it wasn't an urgent situation. And so at that point, I'd picked up my phone and started filming because I felt like no one was able to help me. And I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And I definitely was afraid for my life at that mm-hmm. point. What was the aftermath of, of this video? Is this Was this, because you said this was a big day for you, was this mm-hmm. kind of like the turning point of, yes. of, you know, this whole ordeal? Yes. So what was, what happened after? So I made that video knowing that I had already given my two weeks notice at my job over at Collab Space. And um, I had spent a year with them and I, I loved my position there mm-hmm. and I could have seen myself there for a much longer period of time. But unfortunately, I was too ill to continue working. And so I'd already submitted my two weeks. And that night um, on May 4th that I made that video, that was actually my last day at Collab Space. So I made that video and a few hours later, I was at Club Space finishing my last day. Um, and anyone who knows me will only know me with a smile on my face. And mm-hmm. that's how they remember me that day. And now, even though that I'm sharing that video and people are seeing it, the comments that I'm getting are people just blown away because they had no idea that I was even going through that, mm-hmm. that I was in such a, an emotional turmoil. And then, you know, hours later, just being the usual crystal joy that everyone is used to seeing. That's a big thing for... Um I find, you know, as we were talking before, we, we cracked the mics off air, but I'm very involved with mental health, and, and I, I, I myself, as people who listen to the podcast know, depression, anxiety. Right. Um, that's that's such a a big thing that, you know, people are always like, oh, I had no idea. Like, you're always smiling and joking and funny, and, like, no one understands that, you know. I always equate it to, it's like, I always say for myself at least that, I don't want anyone else to feel the way I do, so right. I always try to project who not like the way I'm feeling, but I, I try to project, you know, who people would want me to be, right? Uh, to make them feel the better, right? You don't want to be sad and mopey, and it's funny that you say that. That I'm like, oh, like yeah, like that. That you hear that all, all the, time. the time. A part of me felt like I had to keep it to myself too, because if no one knew what was going on, if doctors couldn't find a reason other than you know. Oh, you know, just, you know, take some Seroquel and some Mirtazapine and, you know, any, you know, because they at the time thought that I just had bipolar disorder. Mm. So they were treating me for mental health issues, even though I was experiencing physical issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, 
Were you worried that, you know, people are just like, you know, I hope Crystal Joy making it up again, like, you know what I mean? Like, kind of having that stigma attached to you that, like, you know, you can't find a diagnosis uh, to legitimately tell people what's going on. So people are just kind of like, oh, yeah, there she goes again, like, you know, a hypochondriac or, you know, like something, like, you know, just being dramatic, I guess right. you could say in young terms. I was like, was that something real for you? Absolutely. And it still is real. At, at this point, I am terrified of doctors or okay. to even go into a hospital. There are times where I do have symptoms where I probably should have myself looked at at mm-hmm. an ER. Um, but it's just the idea of what if they don't find something again? Um, and, you know, there is that fear of what are they going to have to say in regards to my mental status, because that, that is always the question is, you know, how are things at home and how are you doing today and how, mm. how is work? And it always comes down to how are things internally rather than um, about what's really going on, I find. And so for me, I find doctors can be really scary. And that's kind of where things all came to a wrap for me is it was around May when I left Collab Space I kind of realized that what we were doing, me and the doctors, wasn't really turning up results fast enough for me. And so I took matters into my own hands at that point, and I actually started to research. I had just quit my job because I was no longer capable of working. And so in between all of my symptoms, I was researching and trying to find out what these symptoms were, where they were coming from, and what I needed to do to turn this around. Mm. So you... um is that how you kind of found out? Are you kind of like my symptoms make sense for diagnosis or has like a doctor or anyone kind of actually like confirmed it? Like this is what it is. Yeah. So I have the clinical diagnosis. Yeah. Um, now, the other half of that would be to get blood testing. Okay. Um, so clinical diagnosis is you've had the bullseye rash, you show the symptoms and you've been through the disseminated and the late stage. So, you know, you wouldn't be just having symptoms of late stage Lyme, you would have had the initial stages of Mm -hmm. the symptoms as well. Um, Now, blood testing would be the final confirmation, but that is a whole other conversation. (laughs) It's very, very difficult. There's only two labs that I know of at the the moment. Um, Igenix and Armin Labs, I believe, is a new one out of Germany or somewhere in Europe. And so they're the only two labs that will actually test for the disease. Oh. Um, and even then, the testing for the disease is, can be very sensitive, we'll say. Um, and from what I understand, there is a high level of inaccuracy rates with the testing. Okay. So, I mean, as a Lyme advocate, there are probably a ton of people, hundreds if not thousands, who have this disease but can't receive official diagnosis on it because I, I can see you I don't want to like press you too much into it because I can see you kind of or I don't want to say dancing around it but you're you're treading carefully and like that's okay I got that for for you know reasons um like what are like how what are people to do like how are you receiving treatment how are you is this all kind of like a community that just gets together and like that's what works for me do you want to try it is there like doctors that are like try this like is it all kind of internet based like how are you receiving treatment because I mean this is me as what you just said like oh you seem pretty well right now um mm-hmm. you're definitely not the girl I watched in the video that's right, for sure yeah <laughs> so how are you what do you what's going on to combat this right now 
So I myself, um, it's all through my own personal research. So luckily okay. enough, I've had a background in medical aesthetics and some things that have given me an understanding of the body and, and how to understand how to work with myself. And the biggest thing for me is just supporting my body. Okay. Um, and that's, that's the best way that I know how to go about it is just give my body what it needs. If it needs rest, if, you know, just whatever I need to be doing, if I notice, you know, just keeping on top of my nutrient levels, you know, cause sometimes it might be my B12 or sometimes it might, might be my uh, vitamin D or C. So I have to make sure that, you know, all of those nutrient levels are always balanced. Um, so that's, that's how I go about it for myself. And mm-hmm. this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, my work with the event and everything that we're going to get to. Because there are a lot of people, like you said, there are thousands in the Ottawa region alone who have the clinical diagnosis, but not through blood testing. And so they are like me having to treat it for themselves. And that is either through going to see naturopathic doctors or homeopathics. Okay. And that can be fairly expensive and for someone who like myself who had to quit my job just to deal with my symptoms full time you know looking at a hundred dollar visit to a naturopath mm-hmm. is yeah you wouldn't have benefits to cover you, that no not and absolutely not there is, there's no coverage for that kind of um, doctor visit so hmm. Lyme patients do have to pay for their treatment out of pocket and many of them do travel back and forth between Canada and the United States to receive treatment why why do you I mean being in this battle for yourself and other community members, why why do you think there's no attention towards this? There's no treatment level towards this? Like, is it is it just because it's not recognized? It's so new? Is it people, like you said, that refuse to give it a diagnosis? Like, why does it, uh, why does it seem to be so difficult to, to deal with this uh, on a medical professional level? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's where it comes down to is, is a medical professional level. And I think there is a big debate. Some doctors completely believe that Lyme exists. Um, others say there's absolutely no way that it can exist in the body or that it can cause this harm to people. And so you have doctors and scientists who are essentially arguing over whether or not the disease is even valid. Or, or even exists. And then you have some doctors who are disagreeing on the best course of action on how to actually treat the disease. Okay. Um, is there general, and so I know you listen to yourself, but are there general recommendations? Like, obviously, there's no medication. Like, does it all have to be like kind of organic, herbal, natural remedies for it? Like, there's no, I know you said it's antibiotic resistant. So, mm-hmm. um, Really, I guess that would answer my own question. Like, there's there's not much they can even prescribe or do for patients. Well, that's the interesting thing. So it it can't be removed from the body using antibiotics, from what I know. Mm-hmm. But you can actually use antibiotics to manage the disease and to help to control it. Okay. And so um, there is antibiotics, um, amox- the amoxicillin family, and I think doxycycline is the one that they really recommend for Lyme disease. Um, I hear that there is great results using this antibiotic to treat and to manage the disease. Um, but in Canada, the treatment plan for Lyme disease is a maximum of 30 days of any antibiotic. Yeah. Um, and so after you've reached that that point, they tell you, you, you know, you've exceeded the treatment, you're on your own. And I think that comes from the fact that there is that dispute between the medical professionals mm-hmm. about how to treat the disorder. And I think the 30 days is kind of where they've capped it for now. And I think they're doing research. I think they want to help 
people to get better. Mm -hmm. But I think right now it's really hard because, again, not much is known about it. So they they themselves need to do their own research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, coming from, again, not being involved with this, but you never want to have somebody on antibiotics too long because Mm. then that's how the other drugs, you know, you get the drug-resistant drugs uh, or the, the... the bacteria that become drug exists. So it's it's interesting that it, it can help and work, but you, you need to kind of find something else that goes along with it, you know? Right. And that's a funny thing, too, about the antibiotics is they're very hard on the gut. And when you have Lyme disease, which is a gut disease, it starts in the gut, wreaks havoc on the gut, and it, it goes, you know, throughout the body from there. So I think back on how much damage has probably been done to my gut. I know that I have a lot of foods that I have to be really careful of what I eat because they can hurt me. They can make me really ill. And it's because of trying to repair all this damage caused to my to my gut. And throughout life, because I've had a, had a in, uh, bacterial infection, I've had infections come up. So throughout life, I've very frequently been put on antibiotics for respiratory infections and sinus infections. And so that's been a little bit of a saving grace in a sense, because throughout the years that's been helping probably to manage the numbers of the bacteria in my body. Right. But in turn, again, also causing turmoil on my gut. And then now I'm at a point where I'm having to repair the damage to my gut health. Um, because of course our health starts with our gut. And so obviously I have to repair that before my body can. Yeah. I found that interesting that like, um, I've been learning about this myself just through the mental health stuff that how much of your health is affected by your gut Absolutely. and what you're in it and the, the, what they call the, the microbiome and mm-hmm. all that stuff and how it directly correlates to so many things, including, you know, your mental health and, and depression and anxiety and all that stuff that it's all, kind of correlated and they're just kind of finding out all about this stuff so right find it interesting that you know not only is all that stuff directly related to it but Lyme disease and and all that stuff I wanted to ask you though when you say it affects your gut health what are some of the things um that that you're comfortable sharing that that go um what does that mean that like when you're experiencing something um in your gut like can you describe it a little bit just to give us some, mm-hmm. some imagery to it, you know? Well, the very kind of mild symptoms, I'll, I'll say, I was experiencing a lot of nausea, um, a lot of disruptions in my normal hunger patterns, we'll say. I mean, sometimes I would feel very, very hungry mm-hmm. um, and go to eat and then suddenly not be hungry at all. Other times, not be hungry, but think, you know, it's also been about three days since I've oh had a really God. decent meal, so I probably <laughs> should be hungry at this point. Yeah. Um, that's not normal. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, uh... I was eating in those times, but, you know, realizing, you know, coming, cause when you're unwell, you, like I said, I, I give my body what it needs. And so if it's three days of soup, that's what I'll do. But you come to a point where you say, well, my body needs something more than just liquid. Like there's Mm -hmm. gotta be, um, you know, there, there has to be something going on here. And so, um, but some of the other symptoms, the, the nausea sometimes can get really, really bad. Um, really hard to explain it, but sometimes I get this burning sensation in my stomach. Um, and it's almost the kind of sensation where you feel like you're, you're going to be unwell. You feel like you're going to vomit, but nothing happens. It's just this pure burning sensation. Is it like acid reflux, heartburn type thing, or is it a little different than that? I think it's a little different than that. Okay. Um, it's just, it's really hard to explain. It's, 
it feels like what hunger would, but it's associated with a burning sensation rather than mm. just a straight okay. hunger. Um, but when my symptoms did get really critical, it got to a point where I could only eat um, chicken broth and celery juice because oh everything I was putting into my body was making me extremely unwell. So what what do you have to avoid now? Or is there, we'll start with, you know, what you can eat and then maybe talking about what are some common foods maybe that mm-hmm. as you're meeting people now uh, with that have the disease that can't like they have trouble with too i find for everyone again it's um whatever works best for you yeah people are trying different things many people have gone vegan some people have gone vegetarian um there are, are other diets like the keto diet which mm-hmm. is a really common one that you hear about now i myself have gone plant-based and protein Okay. So I try and not eat anything that comes out of any kind of packaging. Everything yeah. I eat has to be, um, you know, as fresh as it can possibly come. And high protein, of okay. course. So still eating meats and stuff? So yeah. kind of like a paleo-type mm-hmm. diet. A-, a lot of people who have Lyme disease or who have a bacterial or a fungal or a parasitic infection, they'll avoid meat altogether because meats do carry a lot of bacteria and and fungus and things. Okay. But it's also, you know, I face specifically a B12 deficiency that can put me through the floor. There are days where I almost can't even pick myself off of my bed. Mm. So, you know, at that point you, you have to pick and choose, you know, it's, you know, and there are days where I know I should avoid sugar at all costs, but sugar is something that naturally should be in the body. Mm-hmm. And when you cut it out by eat, like even myself, I'll only eat berries. I don't eat fruit because of the sugar. And so, you know, when you cut all of those things that when you're used to eating it, your body has to go through a process. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still trying to learn what my process is. Um, and you said, sorry, you had some autoimmune um Mm-hmm. issues as well yes um because i've i've read um because I'm, I'm fascinated by just health in general so what's good for you what's bad for you like what truly you know all that stuff and there's a carnivore diet now that people with autoimmune deficiencies are trying mm-hmm. and apparently it's working as well okay. which is interesting that it works but i understand that like lyme disease you know bacteria and stuff so that means like you can't take probiotics or anything either or like does that mess with it all or actually i i take a a a good number of probiotics because over the years um that was the other thing too is because i was always given antibiotics to treat different infections that i've had i was never educated on how to balance that Mm -hmm. and so i Mm -hmm. i literally destroyed my gut over the years and so now i am trying to rebalance that natural gut health and so probiotics, I'm all for them because they're helping to put back that positive bacteria, mm-hmm. which, you know, when you take antibiotics, it kills all all, all life. Bad, yeah. So the good, the bad, everything. And so now I'm trying to make sure that I'm putting more good bacteria in the body than bad. And so that way there's less room for that bad bacteria. Um, is there common things that like really like... Flare. So I know you said mm-hmm. um, things out of a package, but like I said, like when you're talking with, I'm trying to just get like a general sense. So yeah. like maybe if someone's listening and they're struggling with something and, you know, they have health issues like them and like the doctor doesn't know, I don't know. And now all of a sudden they're listening. I mean, that's, right. that's a stretch, but you know what I mean? Like, are there some certain things that you've found a pattern of through experience, through talking with people that definitely like doesn't work for your body? Um, mm-hmm. 
Um, for foods, definitely gluten, sugar, and dairy. Oh, so no cheese. <laughs> all and all bread. of the things no. that everyone loves, oh. and all of the things that I tell my friends, I still love you, but I will give you the stink eye for eating these things in front of me. Oh, it's yeah. really, it's really challenging because I remember the first time I went grocery shopping. <laughs> the cost, yeah, I expect. Uh, well, the cost, but the first time I went grocery shopping, I walked out with almost nothing because I actually I was at a moment where it was shortly after that video, so I was in a in a crisis. Mm-hmm. state of mind and I went shopping and I walked out with one bag and I think it spent like $20 because there was nothing I think I bought bananas and some kiwi which I later learned I shouldn't have that either oh my goodness <laughs> so um it was a it was a learning process of well what can I eat and and because I grew up eating you know raised on a high processed diet learning okay well now I have all these fruits and vegetables what do I do with them how do Mm -hmm. I turn them into a meal a a meal that's going to give me the proper nutritional support that I need to get me through the day yeah that's one of the big things too like eating healthy is great but I find if and I think maybe it is a consequence of growing up on processed foods and stuff that like I'm still full like I'll have a big salad I'm like ugh, I could still eat like right a bunch of carbs still I could go eat a cake right now no problem it's it's hard to not only find the balance but to eat to, mm-hmm. to feel full to feel satisfied that you're like I'm good I don't have to eat again it's it's hard to to do that and it's really tricky because the foods that we eat or that are available to us uh, at the grocery store anything out of a package that we eat has a lot of sugar in it yeah. um I, I encourage anyone when you do your grocery shopping just even your peanut butter, just flip it over and check out those ingredients, please. Yeah, <laughs> You'd be surprised at what's actually in the foods that you're eating. And so sugar is a very addicting ingredient. Mm-hmm. And so when you're eating it in such a high amount and you don't even know it, and then you're wondering, well, I just had, you know, all this celery and peanut butter that should have been a great snack, but I'm going to go and eat this cake now. Um, it, we when we have and again you're you're trading that in for more sugar right mm-hmm. too so that's the other thing to consider yeah. your body is telling you you need this rather than i i learn with myself now that i don't eat these foods anymore well i can't but with um gluten for one example that was probably one of the last things that i cut out because my body was such a mess at that point that i i had to learn what was causing the issues mm-hmm. and it took me a while to realize that gluten was actually an issue. Yeah. Did you do the elimination thing where you're like, I'm not going to eat dairy, not going to eat meat, and then like kind of... Well, I was at that point where I could only eat broth and celery juice. Ugh. And it was oh it was awful. It was so awful. And so I was I was trialing an error, you know, every once in a while. I was like, okay, well, let, let's see what happens if I eat this. And okay. Let's see what happens if I eat that. And so... Um, that's why when it comes down to diet, it's hard to recommend because there are things that are in my diet that people tell me I absolutely should not be eating, but you see me, I'm not a very big person. And so Mm -hmm. I will eat all of the peanuts that I can, just any, (laughs) anything that has fat content. Um, but there are certain nuts like peanuts, for example, that they say are not supposed to be good for me. But again, when you have a disease and it's different for everyone, it's not about, a cookie cut template it's about learning your body and how your body is living with this and Mm -hmm. how to work with it um do you know like how lyme disease started like you said it started like it was first diagnosed in the 60s like is there a a sense through your research i i I know i'm you're not an expert you're not a researcher (laughs) you're not a scientist um 
But like, is there like a common belief amongst, you know, the research that where it started? Um, so, yeah, if you look at maps of Lyme disease, the history of Lyme disease, the coast of Maine is a hot spot. I mean, Lyme, Connecticut itself is where yeah. it all started. Um, but from there, it, 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 it spanned out. And so they seem to believe that the coast of Maine, for whatever reason, is that focus point. And now I'm not too sure what happened on the coast okay. of Maine that caused this outbreak. But now they're telling people about, you know... We have to look at how is this disease spreading, and it's um, when you look at maps, it's through waterways, and so we need to consider birds when they migrate. They carry ticks and bugs and insects with okay. them, and so uh, when you look at a map, you can see that when the disease spreads, it follows waterways and will expand outward from there. And so, mm. um, many people won't know this, but Ottawa is an endemic region, which means we are at extreme high risk for Lyme disease. Um, in West Ottawa alone, an average of 50% of ticks are tested positive with Borrelia burgdorferi as the strain common to Canada. And so um, when you look at the maps, you can see that all along the Ottawa River, if you follow that all the way down to um, where it intercepts with Lake Ontario, there is a high concentration of Lyme disease along that stretch. Hmm. Um, how is it spread? I know the common mm-hmm. one, anyone who knows Lyme disease, it's ticks. Yes. That's the big one. That's so it's one. tick bites. Tick bites. You said there's other ways. Yes. Um, so there's actually several different insects alone that can carry the disease and transmit it. So okay. we know that spiders and mosquitoes for one. Um, and I believe some mosquitoes. flies as well. I know mosquitoes, they are not your friends. Stay away from them. <laughs> Um, and there are other ways aside from insects as well. So um, I know in the Ottawa community, giving blood is a really great way to give back. But unfortunately, giving blood is also a way of transmitting the disease. So if you have Lyme disease and you are unaware and you do give blood, you are running a risk of transmitting that disease onto whoever is receiving your blood. It doesn't get detected? Um, I, well, I guess because it doesn't get tested. It doesn't get tested. Uh-huh. Okay. So um, the other thing, too, to consider is if you um, are on the list for an organ, um, you know, if you are an organ donor, and uh, through utero as well, through sexual transmission, so if your partner has Lyme disease, there is a risk as well of you contracting it. And um, if a mother um, is carrying a child, mm. she as well can pass it through utero to her unborn child. Therefore, the child will be born with the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, does it get serious for everybody or is it sometimes, you know, people have Lyme disease and would live their whole life and never even know it? it mm-hmm. Like it just varies so much between person to person. I think that's what happened to me actually. So I think I was infected with the disease twice and there are people who can live with the disease. I mean, they do have symptoms, but they can get on with their life. Yeah. Um, and that was myself. When I was nine years old, I started to fall ill after I had a week-long trip with my grandparents to the cottage. Okay. And that whole time I spend in the forest, that's, you know, picking berries, climbing trees. It's, that was what I did as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, throughout life, I always had all these various issues of the body that were very vague. No one could really seem to put a finger on them. You know, they were easily dismissed as, you know, many simple mm-hmm. things. And it wasn't until the summer of 2017 when I was actually in my yard and I never actually saw the tick, but I had felt something on my arm 
And it wasn't until a couple days later that I noticed that I was starting the rash. And inside, in the very center of the rash was this teeny tiny little, um, looked like a bee stinger. And so I called up my doctor because I was allergic to bees. And I think I got in to see him at around the three-week stage of when I noticed this rash was when he can get me in. And by that point, this bullseye rash, it was a very clear bullseye rash, Mm -hmm. taken up almost entirely the forearm, my forearm. Wow. And um, it was was very aggressive looking. And he'd said, oh, it's probably just a spider bite. I can see the stinger right there. And so he grabbed the tweezers and pulled that little black thing out that I thought, you know, I, I had no idea I could just pull that out. I didn't know what it was. Mm. You um, just had this thing in your arm. I just weeks. had this. I just, I thought <laughs> it was just this, I thought it was just part of the bite. I didn't want to pick at it. Um, but I now know that that was probably the tick's head that was stuck inside my arm. And so very important when you do find a tick on you to remove it properly, because if you don't, you can break the head from the body and then that would release the infection. Mm, okay. How do you, do you know how to Take it off properly? Yes. Yeah, so they're um, really neat little um, tick keys that you can get. Some different stores carry them. You can get them from your vet clinic. Um, and the city of Ottawa has uh, some as well, which is mm. where I got mine. They have these um, little um, kits. And it's uh, it's kind of hard to explain it, really. But it's um, it looks a lot like the end of a hammer. And okay. you just kind of, um, like, a, like as if you're removing a nail, you just kind of hook the tick onto this little device and you just kind of pull it out like you would a nail. But again, you have to be careful to not actually break the tick. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, you know, you've lived with it. You found out um, you're, you're managing everything. Why did you choose to become uh, an advocate for it? Um, so that was probably a few days after I found out that I had the disease. I, I found out, cool, I have Lyme disease. I'm going to treat it. I'm going to get better. And still knew nothing about it. And a few days later, found out that uh, a gentleman about my age in an online community for Lyme disease that I was a part of had passed away. Okay. And um, and that, of course, was a shocking moment for me. I did have that moment where shock set in and it was kind of like, you know, bombs were ringing in my ears and mm-hmm. it just took a minute to, to sink in because here I was so happy to learn that I finally have answers. I finally can get better. But then to learn that, well, this is taking people. And so kind of almost immediately, it just came over me that I knew what I needed to do. And almost instantly, it, everything that I was going through almost became insignificant because I realized that there were people who were worse off than me. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a critical state and I was extremely scared for my life. But there were people who were actually losing theirs as I was sitting there. Mm-hmm. So that was a moment for me where I felt like you know, things are being done. There is awareness being raised and there is money going towards research. But I felt like there was more that needed to be done for the immediate, for those people who who were like me, who were in a crisis state or who were taking their life because they just couldn't bear to live with this disease. Mm, yeah, okay. Um, what types of, th- like, what is advocacy involved? Because, like, are you trying to raise money are you, I mean, I'm raising awareness, obviously, mm-hmm. is always one of the big ones. But, like, what are people doing? Like, what can people do to to help to, to you know, like, give some support to, the to you know, the people with Lyme disease? Because, obviously, it doesn't seem like there's a, a whole lot right now. And that's kind of where I came to where I'm at now with mm-hmm. what I'm doing with my event and the initiative. Because, 
when I decided I wanted to make a change, I thought I'm going to host an event, raise awareness, and we're going to raise some money, and we're going to give it to an organization who can give it back to the community for people like this gentleman or myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know myself, I would have been really great if I could have, you know, had um, B12. Like, there was one point where I was so sick because of my B12 levels, but I didn't have the funds to access the B12 medication, right? So I felt like there was that gap that needed to be Mm -hmm. filled. But through trying to um, connect with an organization that would give the funds back to the immediate community was almost impossible. Um, there are organizations in Canada, but the money will always go back to research. Okay. And I felt like that was great, and I fully support research. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we need to step away from, like, people... I think we need to have two parts of the battle, mm-hmm. uh, the research and people taking care of those who need the help now. Mm-hmm. So how are you going about that? And um, we keep talking about, let's just bring up the event because yeah. I, I don't mean to be like, <laughs> it's, we keep going like, oh, this event, it's this like, event. it's a secret and we're, but oh, it's definitely not a secret. Yeah, no, obviously <laughs> not. So let's, let's talk about the yes. event and then try to answer this question of the two parts and how we can do that. Right. So the event is called Light Lime. And that's actually going to be hosted this Mother's Day at yes. the Centurion so Center. So right, right now we're May 8th. It's a Wednesday, 2019. So if you're listening in the future, you've missed it. But now you need to follow because there's going to be a lot more Lyme events. Oh, yeah. Either here in Ottawa where we are or probably near you. I'm sure there's lots of stuff going on if you mm-hmm. check Facebook and all that stuff. So not to cut you off. No worries. Please go ahead. Yeah. So um, yeah. So we'll be hosting the event on Sunday at the Centurion Center, which is in Apian. And um, it's going to be to not only raise awareness, but also some funds. Okay. And those funds are going to be to launch the Ability First Ottawa Lyme Disease Initiative. Okay. And so that's a program that I myself am going to, to run and head. And it's going to be to connect people, um, Lyme disease patients, or even people who are concerned about Lyme disease, who just want to learn. Maybe they are a caretaker of someone who has Lyme. Um, But ideally, this program is going to be to help to raise more awareness, but to provide education and support and get people connected to the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. Where can people, so they can turn to you now once Mm -hmm. we, we get this off the ground, but like if they need funding or if they need like personal or like very connected support right like like we're talking about awareness is great i love people raising awareness but i always tell people that you know there's there's a a joke a comedian makes that sort of like people who are just like i raise awareness is it's just another form of doing nothing (laughs) right it's great everyone loves it it's important we all know but really when it comes down to it we like you need money we we need the funds we need the funds that like there's no two bones about it every organization needs the money so how are people able to access this money if they do need support so the program how it will work is rather than us giving grants to people is we are actually going to bring on different instructors and different programs and so I've I've already actually started to build this community of mine and so how that's going to look for people who want to partake is um, I know myself for one I struggle with my supplements you know Mm -hmm. when do I take them how much of it should I be taking can I take this with this and are these two things going to make me sick if I take them together so even a course simply on how to take your supplements Mm -hmm. Um, so we would have have an instructor come in, probably a naturopath or a nutritionist come in, and they would teach a course and 
people can enroll in that course or in that part of the program and participate like a student would in a class okay. and uh, or in a workshop and, and get that firsthand experience from a certified professional mm-hmm. who has an understanding of the disease specifically because all of this is going to be specific towards Lyme because mm-hmm. people I find they can go to their doctor and get support but their doctor even though they might agree with Lyme disease they might not necessarily be a Lyme literate doctor they might not know necessarily all there is to currently know about it mm-hmm. and so the idea with the program is these are all going to be professionals who are specific on Lyme disease so that people are not just getting education, but education specific to what they're dealing with. Of course. What, um, what has been, I know, so I know it's you're really just starting up. We're in the beginning stages mm-hmm. here. Um, what's reception been like so far? Have you been getting a lot of you know, support outside of like the Lyme uh, community? Um, like when you're reaching out to people and talking to people, has it has it been positive? Is it you feel good? It's growing, or we we got a lot more work to do. There's more work to be done. Yeah, of course. Um, int- like uh, I don't know what's the word I'm trying to find. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying the fact that even though I am experiencing some of that, those difficulties, those challenges, mm-hmm. people are not being totally inappropriate about it um no one has completely slammed a door in my face by any means but Mm -hmm. there has been a lot of hesitance from not only outside of the Lyme community but within the Lyme community as well Hmm. Um, linking up with other advocates in the Lyme community because we all have our own reasons for our own missions Mm -hmm. and you know we're I think when you are so passionate about something it's really hard to see outside of what you're focused on Mm -hmm. and so I think that that's kind of where that's coming from. I think everyone just kind of has their own little mission that they're trying to accomplish. And so I know myself, I'm so focused on mine. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's an intentional thing, but mm-hmm. definitely outside of the Lyme community, there is that hesitance. I mean, I would love for, um, in the program, in our, um, in our event, sorry, for Light Lyme, to have someone to come in and speak specifically about Lyme disease and specifically about the ticks that transmit Lyme disease. But to get someone... To do that sort of thing, they would be involved in, say, for example, the city of Ottawa or a part of the councillor's wards. And so that would be us reaching out to our government, Mm -hmm. our city, and getting them involved, which, of course, that's where I'm reaching some difficulty. I just simply don't get responses back. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely challenging, um, you know, coming from a, a job in media. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who need help in all sorts of areas. And unfortunately, like, you just can't help everybody. Um, But I, you know, if Ottawa is, what do you call it? The, uh, for a high risk, right? High risk. Right. Yeah. We're endemic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Endemic. Endemic. Writing it down. (laughs) Um, That, you know, this is going to become more of a problem than Mm -hmm. I think we realize. And of course, Every charity and every um, initiative has its merit, and that's important. But would seem to be that this, especially specific to Ottawa, should be a important focus. Um, so, if you're listening, Mayor Watson or members of the council, <laughs> um, let's let's get going here. Um, so, so that's really the challenge we got right now. It's it's mm-hmm. reaching that sort of academic or expert level to actually come in and give it the support to really give it that 
that boost. Right. I think it's about coming together as one community because we have the citizens and then we have those who run the community. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think it's about I, I, I agree that our city is doing what they can. They are advocating for Lyme disease. They are educating people on ticks. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes so much further than that. We've covered some of the ways that people can contract Lyme disease that I don't see being advocated for by our city. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about coming together as a community rather than the people versus the city. Um, And I think that's where we're going to really see the best results because if if we can all work together. And I think that's where sometimes there is some of that, those challenges is, you know, we see people in the community and they're trying to organize these charity events, but they're not getting the support from, Mm -hmm. from the city or from their community. And so it might be hard for people to think, well, I want to get involved in that. You know, no one else is really interested. So why should I? But I think if we all came together and, and saw that this is a problem for the future of our city, because last year there was over 2,000 confirmed cases of Lyme disease in humans, just over 1,000 in dogs. And we expect those numbers to at least double this year. So we're looking at at least 4,000 confirmed cases of Lyme disease this summer alone coming. And so that that's a lot of people. We're mm-hmm. now 1 million in Ottawa. So when you look at 4,000 and you multiply that every year, it's only it's a short matter of time before this yeah. city as a whole is unwell. Um I'm not, I was seriously not trying to make light of the situation, but it reminded me of this meme on uh, on the internet where it was like, it was talking about Flint, Michigan, and the water. And it was like, why doesn't people just tell people that the dogs don't have water and then they'll go and fix it, right? And that kind of reminded me of like, <laughs> if dogs are getting it, just tell people the dogs are getting it and they're going to be hurt. And then people go like, oh my God, like now I need to, right? Yeah. It's, it's sad. It's a sad reality that we need to use animal because people respond to animals better than they do humans well luckily enough for our pets they actually get better treatment and better testing than we do um you can take your pet into i mean you can even bring a tick into your vet and say i i found this on my pet and they'll test it right away um and if that if that tick was found to have lyme disease they'll immediately put your dog on treatment some sometimes people and pets are even put on a treatment before the testing even comes back, if they physically have mm-hmm, the tick, mm-hmm. just for a precaution. But when it comes down to pets, um, again, look at the numbers from last year alone. There was just over 2,000 diagnoses for people and over 1,000 for pets. So the, when you look at those numbers, it's actually really scary to think that there's such a high... It's, it's an interesting ratio to look mm-hmm. at how many animals versus people are getting sick. It's a high number of cases for dogs. So we have to look and think, you know, vets really are on board with diseases like tick-borne illnesses. Mm -hmm. This sounds like a really stupid question, but like, has there ever been thought to like treating humans with what they treat animals with? Like, has there been research? Is there anything or anything like that? I mean, I myself, I'm a country girl. I grew up on the farm and there are certain things that we did use on the farm that were good for people. Um, It was actually for your skin. It was called bag bomb. It was what we actually used to put on the cows before we would milk them. Um, Just made it a little nicer for them, of course. But (laughs) (laughs) it's it's actually really, really great to be used on the skin. So on the farm, there were a lot of products. Um, 
And now I'm, I'm not talking about medications, of mm-hmm. course. I've never gone and tried my horse's medication. But, um, you know, there were a lot of products on the farm, like um, the shampoos and conditioners and sprays that we would use in the show horses. You can go and buy those at Shoppers Drug Mart now. Yeah. So I don't know whether or not that's being looked into or something that's being done. But, I mean, I think it's worth looking into. I think if what we're what we're doing with the medications that we have available to humans if we're not seeing the results there, but we're seeing the results in pets, if, yeah, if they're it's... getting better, then why not look into this? You know, yeah. maybe finding out, well, what is it about this medication that we're giving to dogs that's not safe for humans? Well, how do we make that safe for humans? Yeah, exactly. Because I was just thinking that, like, I know that you can get prescriptions at the pharmacy for human medication for dogs. For your dog. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, mm, like, is there, I don't know if it's being looked at. It'd be worth going on the internet and googling and see following the rabbit hole down of what's going on with the the Lyme disease um so one more time you you have an event it's Mother's Day uh so when you're listening to this it's probably going to be Thursday um May 9th so check it out uh what's going on at the event how can people find it uh check it out yeah. Um, so we are on Facebook at Light Lime. And again, the event is taking place at the Centurion Center. Where, where is that? In uh, that's on Colonnade Road, Nepean. Colonnade, okay. Yes. And uh, just pretty close off to the intersections of Maribel and West Hunt Club. Okay. And um, so what we have going on there, it's going to be a lot of fun, actually. So mm-hmm. when people come in, we actually have a lot of games that are going to be set up, a lot of activities and contests. So when people come in, it's it's really just going to be about mingling and having fun and learning about Lyme disease while we're at it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, partway through the event, we're actually going to switch over to some speaking and some fun presentations. Okay. Um, so Light Lime is the name of the event. Yes. And you have the organization that you're getting off the ground. What's that called again? So Ability First Ottawa is actually an already established yep. charity here in Ottawa. So I was very fortunate. We were talking about how there was no organization that would give the money back to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would not settle with that. Mm-hmm. And I kept pushing until I was able to... Um, find an organization that was willing to work with me and Ability First Ottawa is an organization that I know, uh, Christina, their executive director and a couple of their board members are friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to work together to basically get their support to launch my initiative. So the initiative will be through their charity, Mm -hmm. but it's the Ability First Ottawa Lyme Disease Initiative is the name of the program. Do you have socials? Do you have uh, anything like that where people can follow? That's all coming. It's all coming. You're getting the first word here. Yeah. So the event, again, the initiative wasn't originally a plan. I just wanted to do the event to raise money to give to the community. Mm -hmm. But then I was told, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, no, you can't do that. And so (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Um, Okay, perfect. So can people connect with you uh, or anything to like find these events or or learn more? Absolutely. Anyone is welcome to connect with me on Facebook. I'm super easy to find. Crystal Joy is one word. My last name is Parman. And um, if you're sending me an invitation to connect on Facebook, just let me know the reason why, or I might not know where you're coming from or mm, the reason. No creeps. <laughs> I get a lot of friend requests, so I need to know where you're coming from. And um, you can also connect with me, so crystaljoyparman at gmail.com. And if you're looking to get in touch with the event and learn more about that and the program, then you can reach out to lightlime 
O-T-T at gmail.com. Perfect. Okay. Any websites or anything yet? Not right now. Okay. We're working on working it. On it's it. going to get up. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, if you're not from Ottawa, uh, I encourage you to look up um, Lyme advocacy groups and, and events in your area, uh, wherever you are. I'm sure there's lots going on um, all across not only Canada, but probably the States. And Yeah, it's, it's really catching on now. There's a lot more being done. Um, within the community Mm -hmm. for this so definitely reach out to your community and your networks because if you look hard enough I can guarantee you something is is there for you yeah Google Facebook is your friend absolutely Um, of course you can follow us here uh, life in red podcast on Facebook Instagram and YouTube and Twitter because they're a bunch of jerks life in red pod uh, and life in red podcast.com Crystal Joy Parman thank you so much for joining me thank you so much really appreciate it learn a lot Hope you all did too. Everybody, have a great night. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.